Hey, Cornwall Church, I want to do something that I have been coached against doing. Every, every class I ever took about preaching or speaking or homiletics, any book that I've read says never start off with an apology. Never start off with an apology. But I want to start off today apologizing. As you know, this weekend is the conclusion of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And for some of you, you're ending that 21 days with a fast from food. And maybe right now you're fasting from a meal or for a day or for multiple um, days uh, as we end this. And that intro video probably caused you to um, salivate and start uh, hungering for more, getting a little bit hangry as it were. And I just want to say I apologize for that. Uh, I want to encourage you to finish strong, continue on with the fast that God has called you to, and, uh, and reap the great blessings from that. Also want to say the irony is not lost on me that we follow up a season of prayer and fasting with a series called Meals with Jesus. I, I get that. I, I see the irony there. And speaking of, of the fasting piece, we would love to hear about your experience uh, in the fasting of these last 21 days, not in a, in a prideful way, not in that you've done that to be seen by men, as it says in Scripture, but if there's a, a way that God really met you in that time or something, there was a breakthrough or your experience, we would love to hear about that. And if you would email us at stories at cornwallchurch.com uh, as a way to encourage us, uh, and, and you don't even have to use your name, uh, so it can be completely anonymous, we just want to hear what God's been doing in your life and would love to have you uh, share that with us as we conclude these 21 days of prayer and fasting and go on to meals with Jesus. You, you think about meals. On the one hand, there is nothing more common, nothing more ordinary than meals. Most of them are really quite forgettable. I mean, because we have meals every single day, multiple times a day for our entire lives. From the toothless bottle of milk that we drank as a baby to the toothless pureed meatloaf we have in our dying days at the care facility, we have meals multiple times every day, and most of them we forget about completely. They're just ordinary. And yet a meal can also be incredibly significant, incredibly meaningful, incredibly memorable, a meal that we would never forget. And, and maybe it's a, some announcement, or maybe there was an engagement, or, or maybe it was an honor that, that you, you uh, received at a certain meal. And meals, the contrast, I mean, it can be as, as, as quick and, and ordinary as driving through a fast food and grabbing a bag of stuff and going and eating to a multiple-course gourmet experience, not just a meal, but an experience. Or maybe it's a brown bag lunch that you eat on your lunch break by yourself out underneath a tree or down by the river. Or maybe it's surrounded with family and friends, a big celebration like Thanksgiving. But meals are a part of our life all the way through from the beginning to the end, from the cradle to the grave, we are engaged in meals. Jesus was as well. And what we see throughout scripture is that he is constantly talking about meals. Dr. Paul Brand, who um, in his book, The Forever Feast, I borrowed that title for the title of this sermon today. In his book, The Forever Feast, said that more than half of Jesus' parables were about food, feasts, and farming, or farming the food to have the feast. That is all about that. But it wasn't just what he talked about, though he talked about it quite a bit. Throughout the Gospels, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you put on kind of a, a meal a filter, 
you begin to see how often there are accounts recorded about Jesus having a meal with individuals, not by himself, with individuals. And these are not just meals for caloric intake that they're just going to scarf down some food. Very often, they're very, very significant events. Sometimes they're life-altering, life-changing interactions. And very often you see these deep, profound, eternal lessons that Jesus teaches in the setting of a meal around a table. So for the next two and a half weeks, we're going to look at some of these meals with Jesus. We're going to look at 10 specifically. We're not covering all of them. We could go on and on with these. But we're going to be looking at 10 of these meals. And the one we're going to start with today uh, is found in Luke chapter 14. And in Luke chapter 14, there's a meal that Jesus is having. And someone in this gathering, because there's a lot of people, someone in the gathering at this meal says, blessed is the man who will eat the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been with us the last six months, you know that all last fall, we talked about the kingdom of God. When we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, the, the best sermon ever, this kingdom culture, and that Jesus came to usher in this kingdom, and that it wasn't just a someday kingdom, it was a here and now kingdom. That because of Jesus, that ordinary human beings like us can experience the kingdom of God and the presence and the power of God right here and right now. But that is not what this individual is talking about. Let me give you a little bit of historical and cultural background. In the Jewish mind, there was this idea, there was this dream, there was this hope, there was this longing, there was this deep prayer, this anticipation, this waiting for the day when God would break into human history. It had been prophesied, it had been promised, they knew it was going to happen, they just didn't know when, and it had been hundreds of years. And this idea of when God broke into human history, that this kingdom would come. And the wrongs would be set right, and justice and righteousness would prevail. And things like death would be swallowed up, and every tear would be wiped from their face. And the shame and the disgrace would be removed, and salvation would come. And the prophets would speak of this. And very often that day when God breaks into human history was referred to as the messianic banquet, the messianic feast, that there would be this, this feast. And so this guy is probably talking about this idea that there will come a day when the messianic feast, when the Messiah comes and everything is set right. And he's probably thinking specifically about Isaiah because Isaiah references it a few times. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, in talking about this day when the Lord will come, it says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. There's this picture of just abundance and food and the best food ever. I want you to hold on to something. It says that the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast. If you can just kind of pin that somewhere in the back of your mind, because it's going to be significant later on, that the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast. And this feast would be a, an amazing thing with the kingdom of God that has, has come into this world. And the idea and the thinking in the Jewish mind was that this, this feast would be for the Jews only. There was, it was unfathomable that anyone from the outside would be a part of this feast, part of this kingdom. It was unthinkable that someone who wasn't worthy would be a part of it. And it's almost like they've had all these years of history where there's been want and need and longing, but when this day comes, there's going to be plenty and fulfillment and satisfaction, almost like going from, from fasting to feasting. 
kind of like we're doing in our sermon series where we spent three weeks talking about fasting, and now for the next 10 weeks, we're going to talk about feasting. And as we saw with Jesus and the disciples of John the Baptist, they were fasting while Jesus and his disciples were feasting. This whole concept of going from fasting to feasting was reflected in the Jewish annual calendar as well. Let me explain this, and I'm going to say this, and I mean this with all due respect, and so I'm not trying to be offensive at all. The Jewish calendar had kind of a mullet feel to it. I say that in the, in the, in the, the greatest sense of the word mullet, if there is a great sense of the word mullet, is that there's you know, business up front and then a party in the back. So this is how their annual calendar went, that there was a business day, there was the, the Day of Atonement, it was the highest holy day of their entire year. It was a solemn day. It was a sacred day. It was a day where there was fasting. It was a day where they would humble themselves. It was a day where they would repent. It was a day where all the sins of the entire nation would be wiped out for the year. Very whole. Business was taken care of on that day. And then it was party, all party in the back. Because following that, there were these festivals, these feasts. Purim in, in March. Uh, Passover, which was the crown jewel in March or April. There was Pentecost in June. There was the Feast of of Trumpets in uh, mid-September and and the Feast of the Tabernacle in October. There were all these feasts, these, these parties that would happen. And they weren't just meals. Like, they were events. And some of the events, these these feasts, it was maybe not just expected, but required that they would go to Jerusalem for them. That's why we see when Jesus was 12 years old, we see in Luke chapter 2, where it says, every year his parents, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. So it's these events. And Jesus grew up with this. He knew it very well. He understood the Day of Atonement. He understood all of these different feasts and these these festivals. And what's interesting is all these parties these um, meal events, these festivals, they were all tied to the history of Israel's history and what God had done, and they were a celebration of the goodness and grace of God. They were a celebration. It wasn't just a, just a meal. It wasn't just a party. It had a purpose. It was to remind them of God's goodness, of, to remind them of God's grace, Purim was, was a reminder of how the, the Jewish people had been rescued and, and delivered from the, the sure destruction of Mordecai in the book of Esther. Passover, probably one of the more familiar ones, was a celebration of how, how uh, the, the Hebrew people had been rescued and delivered out of Egypt and how the death angel passed over them and they were set free. A Pentecost, or this, this, um, this festival of weeks, was a celebration of the giving of the law and what that God in, engages with his people and he gives them. He doesn't give any other nation. He gives to them the law. Or, or the trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, the, the, the shofar would be blown because it was the end of the agricultural season and just God's faithfulness in agriculture. And, and then with the tabernacles, uh, or, or the, the, the booths, Sukkot was, was the name of it uh, in, in, uh, in Hebrew, or the Jewish name was Sukkot. And it was a celebration of gratitude and thanksgiving for the harvest. So there's all of these parties that are going on over and over again. And they're reminding them of the goodness and grace of God. So what Israel does on an annual national level, what they do every single year with these parties, Jesus comes along. And as we will see, 
He has these meals. He has his own feast. He has his own festivals. They may not be nationwide. They may not all be in Jerusalem. But in these, on an individual level, on a personal level, not just on a historic level, but on a current reality level, on a kingdom level, he celebrates the goodness and grace of God again and again and again. So the first meal we're going to look at, as I mentioned, is found in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bible, you want to turn to that. Now, this is not the first meal chronologically in Jesus' life. But I think it's important that we have this as the first meal in this series because there's, there's a, by the way, there's a ton of stuff that happens in Luke 14. I could honestly preach four sermons out of the meal that happens at Luke 14, but we're just going to do one. So I'm going to have to paraphrase and go over a bunch of stuff uh, fairly quickly. But what we see in this chapter, in Luke 14, at this meal with Jesus, is that there's a lot of truths that are taught. There's some celebrating of God's goodness and grace. And, and, the peak, and, and the pinnacle of it that I want us to focus on is a story that Jesus tells. We're going to get there. But it starts this way in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. A lot of stuff here. It's on the Sabbath, and in trying to keep the Sabbath holy, there were man-made laws about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And one of the things you couldn't do is you couldn't cook. And so on the, what was known as the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath, on Friday before sun went down, they would prepare the food for the Sabbath. And there were very strict stipulations of how you could keep it warm and how you couldn't and what was considered work in honoring the Sabbath. So this meal had been prepared the day before. Not uncommon, they did this every single week. And he comes to the home of not just a Pharisee, but a prominent Pharisee, a ruler with some rank, with some status, with, with uh, you know, a position that's above. And, and who it is or what that rank is, we don't know, but this guy is looked up to. He's honored. He's held in the highest esteem. And what we will see is that it's not just Jesus and this prominent Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees very often are at odds with Jesus, and sometimes Jesus is kind of letting them have it. But here we have them sitting down together at a meal. And it's not the only time that Jesus sits down with a Pharisee for a meal. We'll look at that later in the series, another one. And it's not just the two of them. There, it appears to be quite a few people there. And what I love about this is that Jesus is willing to sit down at the table with anybody because he has the hope that he'll be able to show them the goodness and grace of God and they'll respond to it. So even with Pharisees and even Pharisees and teachers of the law who have put this meal together as a setup, Jesus knows this. They put this together to try and trap him. They're trying to get him into a corner and he knows it and he still goes and he still has hope that maybe they'll see and maybe they'll turn. And as they're at this meal, there's all of these people and one of the individuals that's invited is invited not because really he's on the list, but they're going to use him to try and get at Jesus. The Bible says the man has dropsy. That's kind of an old-fashioned term. The term we would use, the medical term we would use today is edema. 
It's the whole idea of when your body starts holding on to, to water and fluids. And, and I mean, more than just, oh, I can't get my ring off and I'm kind of swollen. I mean, to the point where it's like there's, there's a swelling, and especially around the extremities, like the feet and the hands and the legs. And, and, and the skin grows tight and it becomes very, very painful. It can't even walk at times. And very often, this condition comes about because of congestive heart failure. That your heart's not doing enough to, to get the fluid. My dad had this. Uh, in his latter, uh, latter years, his feet and his legs would swell up and he had to wear these, these really, really uh, tight compression socks to keep the fluid pushed out because of his congestive heart failure. Well, this man comes to the meal. He's invited to the meal. And, and he's probably thinking, this is great. I never get invited to these meals. But they're trying to use him. They want to use his suffering and his pain for their own sinister plot to, to get Jesus. And Jesus knows this. And he comes to this meal and he, they put this man, they position him in such a place that Jesus cannot miss him. And Jesus sees him. And I think there's a part of Jesus that's just maybe a little bit angry. Not because they're trying to set him up. Because they're using this man. And they're leveraging what has brought him great pain for who knows how long. For their own evil purposes. And Jesus asked them a question. Remember, it's on the Sabbath. Says, is it against the law to heal on the Sabbath? And no one will answer. And he looks at this man and he places his hands on him and he heals him. I'm gonna tell you what, for that man, that meal he would never forget. His life would never be the same. In fact, Jesus says, Now that you're healed, why don't you go? In essence, they don't really want you here anyway. So he dismisses the man, and the man's going. He's got free from this, this ailment against him. And then Jesus, he confronts these Pharisees, these teachers of the law. He gives a little bit of their own laws back to them. And no one says a word, and the tension builds in the room. And you can imagine all the other guests who are looking at the Pharisees and teachers of the law and going, dude. They are so busted. Man, he put that in their face, and their speeches, they're like, oh, why did we even try that? And then Jesus turns to the guests because he's been noticing how they're jockeying for position to get in the right spot in the honored positions. There's a lot of people here, and he sees this, and he tells them a story, and he calls them on it. Now it's not just the Pharisees and the teachers of law that have been put in their place. Now the whole crowd and so the tension rises even more. It's just silent in there. Everyone's feeling a little bit awkward, like we're all being called out by this guy. And then Jesus goes one step further. He looks at the guy who's hosting this prominent Pharisee. He looks at the guy who's hosting this meal, and he calls him out individually now. And he calls them out, him out on who he's invited in front of all the people that are invited. And he says, listen, look at who you invite. These are your friends, these are your neighbors, these are rich cohorts, these, these are people that have all this status. And then Jesus gives him some unsolicited advice in verse 13. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. These are the people that have no status. They have nothing that they can repay you with. They can't invite you to their banquets. In fact, 
There's no one in that room that even fits this category. There was one, Mr. Dropsy Man, but you only invited him for your own purposes, not for his. Now, I want you to keep an eye on these four words because that's going to come back too. Remember I asked you to put a pin on that deal from, from Isaiah 25, 6, how the, the Lord Almighty will, will prepare a, a, a feast? I want you to remember these, poor, crippled, lame, and blind because they'll come as well. So now you can imagine the tension in the room is immense. He's called out the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's called out the crowds that are there eating. Now, individually, he puts this guy on the spot, and he kind of puts him on the spot for who he's invited, and they're all hearing this. I mean, the tension is so thick. You can cut it with a knife, no pun intended, with the meal, but you can cut it with a knife. And then we come back to where we started in verse 15, and it says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, all of these things that have been going on, the questioning about healing on the Sabbath, the thing about not trying, trying to get yourself at the place of honor at the table, about not, you know, hire, not uh, inviting just your relatives and your neighbors and your rich friends, but the, those outcasts, those who never get invited. This guy has heard all this. He's been there. And, and he says to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And my first thought is, it had to have been Peter. Because Peter's always talking. Because in that moment, there's such tension and there's silence. You can hear a pin drop. And Peter is kind of like, like him saying, hey, how about them bears? Uh, can I get some mashed potatoes? Let's, let's, kinda, let's break the ice here. Let's get through this tension. And he says that. And when he makes that statement, it puts the ball on the tee for Jesus. It tees him up. And this is where I want us to get to this story. Now you're going, whew, that was all the intro? Yeah, there's a couple intros, but now we're at this story. So there's all this tension. Guy makes this statement, and you remember, he's probably thinking, Isaiah 25, someday, the, the, you know, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast and the richest meats and greatest wines and all these things. And Jesus tells a story. Verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Immediately, if not the crowd, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees would have immediately thought Isaiah 25, 6. Because this guy is just talking about this feast in the kingdom of God. And there's some similarity what Jesus is pointing back to. Remember what I asked you to remember. The Lord, the Lord Almighty is preparing, was preparing a feast. And Jesus used that picture. So then they begin to, to see, okay, now, is he kind of retelling what, you know, Isaiah 25 is about? And, and I want to tell you, this story that Jesus tells, there are so many layers on it. They're probably confused. They're thinking, is he talking about Isaiah and the Old Testament prophecies? Is he talking about this setting right here, right now? Is he talking about what's going on in our world? Is he talking about what's going to happen? What's he talking about? And the answer is yes. There's so many layers in this. But they put it together that he's talking about Isaiah 25. And if he is, then this certain man is the Lord Almighty who will prepare the feast on the mountain, as, as it was said. That this certain man will prepare a feast. And so as he starts this, he, he talks about this, this great banquet. Now, for us, 
Banquet's not a word we use a lot. Banquet doesn't totally get us excited. For you, maybe it's, um, it's used in the context of a, like an end of, the, end of the season awards banquet or maybe an end of the year awards banquet. Uh, or maybe it's a, a non-prof that's having a, a fundraising banquet. Uh, outside of those arenas, we don't use banquet a whole lot. And if you're like me, and, and I'm, I know this, isn't, this, is a, this is a generalization, to be invited to a banquet's a wonderful thing. It's a great honor. It's, it's, it's fantastic. But I'm not always real excited about the food at a banquet because usually there's a ton of people at the banquet, and they're trying to get everybody served at the same time, which means they've got to have all these plates, you know, and they're bringing it out and all this stuff. And so you've got this chicken breast that's kind of lukewarm, and maybe it's a little bit rubbery because it's been sitting in the sauce all afternoon, and then it's got rice pilaf and a couple vegetables, and they're bringing it out, and, it, and it's okay, but it's not super great. Well, lose that whole idea of banquet. What I'd rather have you do is think about if you've ever been to like a, like a seafood boil, where they just pour out all of this seafood and, you know, clams and oysters and all this stuff and corn on the cob and potatoes, and it's just out there, and you're just going for it, and it's good, and it's, or, or maybe like if you've ever been to a pig roast or like a luau, and there's just all this food, and it's good, and they're pulling it off right now, this pulled pork, or, or after the rodeo, and they have the big brisket that's been out on the rotisserie for all afternoon. They're just, think feast. Don't think banquet, because this is a great banquet. This is like a great feast that he's preparing. And not only that, but it says that he invited many, many guests. Now, what I, I honestly think on this one is that the menu, the food of the great feast, the great banquet, is not nearly as important as the guest list. What we're serving isn't nearly as important as who's there. And who's there, who's invited, are many, many people. Now, I don't think there's anything more sad to me. I'm sure there is. But one of, the, one, one of the great sorrows and sadness is when I think about like a new kid at school, back when we had in-person school, a new kid comes to school, moved here from out of town, and has to sit at the lunch table by herself or by himself hasn't made friends yet, hasn't been on any teams, hasn't been in the classes long enough, hasn't gotten into any clubs, doesn't know anybody, and they sit by themselves. That, that just breaks my heart. And maybe you've experienced that, or, or maybe some time where, where there's a, a meal and you were all excited and, and, and no one showed up and you're all by yourself. Well, what we can know about this with Jesus is that the kingdom feast is never alone. The kingdom feast is never alone. You don't find pictures of Jesus eating by himself in the New Testament. He's always eating with people. And throughout human history, every human civilization has had eating as a ritual of togetherness. It's a part of every civilization. Go, you know, throughout anthropology, you see this. And in the Near East, in Israel, the whole idea of eating, again, wasn't just about consuming calories. It was about breaking bread together. It was about sharing a meal. It was about fellowship. In fact, the idea that you would actually sit at a table with somebody had a deep, deep meaning that you're accepted. You're like family here. And that'll come into play a little later on. All right, so all this is going on. 
And um, back to the story. So there's this, this, this certain man who is preparing a great banquet and many guests were invited. All right, verse 17. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Again, so many layers. He's just telling his story. He's pointing to Isaiah. He's being biographical as well. Because in this story, there's a servant that's sent. Who, who was the greatest servant ever? Who was it that said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve? I mean, Jesus writes himself right into the story that this certain man has sent his servant. And what has he said to them? He said, that, that, that for all those who have been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Again, he's saying, what well, you've been waiting for for hundreds of years, what Isaiah prophesied, it's here, it's now, it's the kingdom of God, and it's ready, come now. Now, I'm going to have to kind of fast forward through some of this, but it says in verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. All right, one of them says, I just bought this field, I've got, to go, I've got to go check it out. Well, you don't buy a field, especially in that day and age, without checking it out. Okay, another one says, I just bought this, this, this yoke of oxen. I've got to go, I gotta go you know, test drive them. Well, you would never do that. Another one says, well, I just got married. <laughs> Blame it on my wife. You know, she says I can't come out to play. Whatever it is. To not go, especially if you've RSVP'd that you are, was an absolute insult and a slap in the face. And so as he tells this story, they know culturally, you couldn't go lower than this. Verse 21 says, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Do those sound familiar? That's exactly the same words that Jesus was telling the prominent Pharisee that he should have invited them. So now, which, what are we talking about? Are we, are we back to the prominent Pharisee? Is he, like, hounding on him again? Is he talking about the kingdom of God? And the kingdom of God, these people, they're not invited. They're unworthy. They're unclean. They're cursed of God because of these events. These things show that they're not a part of this. And they're out in the streets and the alleys, and these aren't the... The wealthy people, these aren't the people that deserve anything. You know, when I, when I think about this whole, this whole picture, I think about uh, one of my favorite movies from a couple of years ago. I've, I've probably seen it five or six times. I've, I've, I've rewatched this movie more than any movie except Dumb and Dumber, probably. But the movie was The Greatest Showman. Maybe you saw it. I'm not normally into musicals. This was a phenomenal movie. There were so many life lessons in that movie, great uh, music and such. But there's this time where P.T. Barnum is putting together this, this circus of human oddities. A freak show is what it is. But then he gets this one act, this, this gal from, from Europe who's got this brilliant voice, and now he begins to, to reach out to the upper class. And after one of her, you know, unbelievable concerts, there's a big reception, and the bearded lady with all the human oddities come to the reception, and P.T. Barnum won't let them come in, and he slams the door on them. They're not invited. They're not welcomed. It's kind of the way that the Jewish people felt about anyone who was not Jewish, anyone who was not worthy. And Jesus says, listen, 
the, the one who's putting this banquet on, the one who's prepared this great feast. Like, you're saying that God in Isaiah 25 would have these kind of people in the kingdom banquet, in this messianic feast? You're, you're saying that he would bring them in? And not only that, but Jesus, again, is showing his own life, his own mission, his own biography, because Jesus had come, and the table of Jesus was a table of grace, it was a table of community, it was a table of mission, because he would reach out to people even like this. And he begins to reveal, this is the heart of God. That it wouldn't be just for your group or your set, but it'd be for everybody. I've got a picture I want you to see. This is a young couple, never met them, never been to Cornwall. Emily Bug and Billy Lewis. They got married last year, and uh, after they got engaged, they were planning this big wedding and this swanky sit-down dinner, all this, and then COVID hit. And so they kind of pushed off the wedding and kind of postponed it a couple times. And then finally they said, you know, forget that. Let's just get married. Forget the big gathering. You know, we just want to be married. And so they did. They got married last summer. Everything seemed to be fine except one issue. They had put down a $5,000 non-refundable deposit with the caterer. $5,000 deposit, non-refundable with a caterer. Now they go down to the justice of the peace and they get married, but what do we do now? So instead of trying to, to sue or to somehow kind of mitigate to, to get a refund on this, they decided that instead they would use that for a purpose that was beneficial. So they found in Chicago, they're from Chicago, they found a nonprofit that... Um, works with as a mental health service provider. And they went to this nonprofit and they said, you know, your clients, most of them don't work, can't work, um, have some, some uh, condition, a mental health condition. They said, we would like to provide Thanksgiving dinner for every single one of your, we, we've already paid the $5,000. We're not getting it back. So they go to the caterer and they said, we're changing the menu. It's turkey, mashed potatoes, and gravy, you know, green beans. It's, it's Thanksgiving, and it's not going to be big, elaborate things. We are going to feed all these people. I mean, what an incredible story. As incredible the story, and it's a true story, as that is, it pales in comparison to the story Jesus is telling. Because in Jesus' story, that the blind, the crippled, the lame, you know, the, the poor, they don't just get a meal they get an invitation. Let's say that again. In the kingdom of God, the unworthy, the ones that can never, would never be, they don't just get a meal. They get an invitation. And that is, in, in, in the kingdom of God, it's an inclusive invitation list that, that the list just includes all kinds of people you wouldn't think would be on that list. And by the way, a little side note on this one. In the kingdom of God, the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, that's us. That's you, and that's me, and that's every single person. Because the only way into the kingdom of God is to recognize 
I can't do this on my own. I have nothing to offer. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ. And he says, yeah, and I have invited you. I've got your name on the place card. This is for you as well. How is it, how is it that Jesus' listeners that day had missed this? How is it that the Jewish nation had missed this? How did the Pharisees miss this? The very heart of God. Let's go back to Isaiah 25 again. This is what we've already looked at. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for the Jewish people, the religious people, the holy people, the worthy people, all peoples. An inclusive invitation list. A banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. The sheet that covers all nations. Can, can I just reference this really quick? The shroud, the veil. When someone was in mourning, they would put a, va- a veil on, a shroud their face in mourning. If someone was guilty or they had shame, they would shroud their face. And he says, you know, we've all got those on. We're all in mourning. We're all guilty. We're all ashamed. But he says, I'm going to do away with that. And, and this sheet that covers the nations, the sheet that covers the corpse, that death would be swallowed up, and life would be given to all people, to all nations. How did they miss it? This table that Jesus comes to bring and invite us to is a table of celebrating the goodness and grace of God over and over again. And it wasn't just a concept. It wasn't just an idea or an ideal or a philosophy. It's how Jesus lived. I mean, if, you have, if, you're, if you're following along in Luke 14 and you have like, an old school Bible that has pages in it. It's got like a book. If you turn over one page, Luke 15 uh, says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. That's Jesus now. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I'm not going to go into this very deep because we're going to get into this next week. Don't miss next week. Another meal. But here Jesus is, and remember in the Near East, to sit down and eat with someone was not just consuming calories. It was embracing them. It was welcoming them. It was accepting them. It was calling them family. And here's Jesus. He sits down with a prominent Pharisee. He sits down with a tax collector and a sinner. And he says, I want all of you at the table to celebrate the goodness and the grace of God. All right. We've got to hurry up. Let's go back to the story that Jesus is telling. So he goes through all this. And then at the very end of this story that he tells, Jesus was a master storyteller. So many layers in this story. Gets to the end, and he makes this really subtle little shift with one word, but it is absolutely seismic, and I don't even know if anyone ever picked up on it. I know it took me 57 years to pick up on it this week. Verse 24. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited. You know, all the ones that made the excuses. I've got to go check out my field. I've got to go check out the oxen. I've got to go see my wife. Not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Okay, what's the big deal? Because Jesus has been talking about a certain man. And according to Isaiah 25, 6, this certain man is the Lord Almighty. He's the one that has prepared the banquet. 
And Jesus said, it's my banquet. I'm the certain man. I'm the Lord Almighty. Oh, dude. That's what got him killed. Claiming to be God. And now he's saying, this banquet that you've been waiting for, it's my banquet. I've been preparing it, and it's prepared. And I'm asking you to come. Pharisee, tax collector, prostitute, Jewish, Samaritan, religious, I'm inviting all of you. Come to my table and celebrate the goodness and the grace of God. That was his story. That was his life. That's how he lived. And that's what he opens up the kingdom for everybody. I wonder, I wonder, you know, we talk about, okay, well, those, you know, they, they didn't make it into heaven or whatever. We, we, we always put an eternal perspective on everything. And maybe that's it. I mean, that's it. I mean, we have to accept Jesus' invitation to his kingdom. But what if, what if this also had a secondary level, not just a, 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 a heaven and hell some days down the road. What if he's talking kingdom of God right here, right now? Because let me remind you, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus makes a statement, and he's speaking to a church. He's talking to people who have received the grace of God. He's talking to people who have been redeemed, talking to people who have entered into the kingdom, talking to people who have been saved. And he says in Revelation 3.20, here I am. He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to church people. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What if he's not talking about eternity here? What if he's talking about like right here and right now? Yeah, you're in the kingdom, but you're not at the table. Yeah, you got your ticket into heaven, but you're not enjoying the celebration of the goodness and the grace of God. And what if Jesus says that to us? Yeah, you're saved, it's by grace, but are you experiencing my kingdom? Are you experiencing the meals with me every single day? Are you experiencing what you're missing out on, the celebration of the goodness and grace of God. Later in Revelation chapter 19, John the Revelator says, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God, that we've been invited. Okay. Tim Keller, you know, I, I love his writings. Amazing. He wrote these words about the kingdom and about this feast. Be sure that it is to a feast that Jesus is inviting you. In this life, here and now, Jesus' feast offers unconditional love, forgiveness, personal transformation, hope, and purpose. Like here, now, sit down. For eternity, that feast offers complete victory, total joy, new bodies, and purified spirits, Communion with Jesus and with all the saints. The forever feast doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. The forever feast that we've been invited to, the table in the kingdom of God to celebrate the goodness and grace of God is happening now. Will we take that invitation now to experience meals with Jesus? All right, so here, here's what I want to do. I, I want to I give you... a. A, a, a real practical challenge. Two things this week, a real practical challenge. You remember how during our fasting, I, I mentioned that 
when your stomach growls, the fasting should be a trigger to remind you to focus on God? What if we went from fasting to feasting? What if the meals that we eat and when we're satisfied triggers us to celebrate the goodness and grace of God? So here's one of my challenges for you is invite Jesus to eat with you this week. Every time you sit down to eat a meal, some of you do this already, you pray, but a lot of times it's that, you know, God is great, God is good, let us think of our food, God's neat, let's eat, kind of those kind of things, you know, don't, make, don't let me choke. What if this week, every time you sat down to eat, you paused and prayed, Jesus, you have invited me to the banquet at the feast of the kingdom of God, and today as I eat this, I want to celebrate your goodness and your grace, and I want you to be a part of this because I want to experience meals with you. And one other challenge, on Wednesday night at 6.30, online, we're having refuge. It's only online. Don't come to the building, but we're having refuge. And I want to encourage you to not only come, but come prepared, because at the end of my little talk on Wednesday night, we're going to take communion together, another meal with Jesus. So would you join us Wednesday night at 6.30 for a time of worship, a short, and I promise, a short talk about a meal with Jesus, and then together we can celebrate the Lord's Supper to live in the goodness and grace of God. Meals with Jesus.